0: Book One, Chapters Three and Four of Joseph Andrews. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Dennis Sayers. Joseph Andrews by Henry Fielding. Book One, Chapter Three. Of Mr. Abraham Adams, the Curate, Mrs. Slipslop, the Chambermaid, and Others. Mr. Abraham Adams was an excellent scholar. He was a perfect master of the Greek and Latin languages, to which he added a great share of knowledge in the Oriental tongues, and could read and translate French, Italian, and Spanish. He had applied many years to the most severe study, and had treasured up a fund of learning rarely to be met with in a university. He was, besides, a man of good sense, good parts and good nature, but was at the same time as entirely ignorant of the ways of this world as an infant just entered into it could possibly be, as he had never any intention to deceive, so he never suspected such a design in others. He was generous, friendly, and brave to an excess, but simplicity was his characteristic he did, no more than mister Colly Colley-Syber, apprehend any such passions as malice and envy to exist in mankind, which was indeed less remarkable in a country parson, than in a gentleman who hath passed his life behind the scenes. A place which hath been seldom thought the school of innocence, and where a very little observation would have convinced the great apologist that those passions have a real existence in the human mind. His virtue, and his other qualifications, as they rendered him equal to his office, so they made him an agreeable and valuable companion, and had so much endeared, and well recommended him to a bishop, that at the age of fifty he was provided with a handsome income, of twenty-three pounds a year, which, however, he could not make any great figure with, because he lived in a dear country, and was a little encumbered with a wife and six children. It was this gentleman, who, having, as I have said, observed the singular devotion of young Andrews, had found means to question him concerning several particulars, as how many books there were in the New Testament, which were they, how many chapters they contained, and such like, to all which Mr. Adams privately said, he answered much better than Sir Thomas, or two other neighbouring justices of the peace could probably have done. Mr. Adams was wonderfully solicitous to know at what time, and by what opportunity, The youth became acquainted with these matters. Joey told him that he had very early learnt to read and write by the goodness of his father, who, though he had not interest enough to get him into a charity school, because a cousin of his father's landlord did not vote on the right side for a churchwarden in a borough town, yet had been himself at the expense of sixpence a week for his learning. He told him, likewise, that ever since he was in Sir Thomas's family, he had employed all his hours of leisure in reading good books, that he had read the Bible, the whole duty of man, and Thomas a Kempis, and that as often as he could, without being perceived, he had studied a great good book, which lay open in the hall window, where he had read, quote, as how the devil carried away half a church in sermon-time without hurting one of the congregation, and as how a field of corn ran away down a hill with all the trees upon it, and covered another man's meadow. This sufficiently assured Mr. Adams that the good book meant could be no other than Baker's Chronicle. The curate surprised to find such instances of industry and application in a young man who had never met with the least encouragement, asked him if he did not extremely regret the want of a liberal education, and not having been born of parents who might have indulged his talents and desire of knowledge, to which he answered, he hoped he had profited somewhat better from the books he had read than to lament his condition in this world that for his part he was perfectly content with the state to which he was called that he should endeavour to improve his talent which was all required of him but not repine at his own lot nor envy those of his betters well said my lad replied the curate and i wish some who have read many more good books nay and some who have written good books themselves had profited so much by them. Adams had no nearer access to Sir Thomas, or My Lady, than through the waiting gentlewoman, for Sir Thomas was too apt to estimate men merely by their dress or fortune, and My Lady was a woman of gaiety, who had been blessed with a town education, and never spoke of any of her country neighbours by any other appellation, than that of the brutes. They both regarded the curate as a kind of domestic, only, belonging to the parson of the parish, who was at this time at variance with the knight, for the parson had for many years lived in a constant state of civil war, or, which is perhaps as bad, of civil law, with Sir Thomas himself, and the tenants of his manner. The foundation of this quarrel was a modus, by setting which aside an advantage of several shillings per annum would have accrued to the rector, but he had not yet been able to accomplish his purpose, and had reaped hitherto nothing better from the suits than the pleasure, which he used, indeed, frequently to say, was no small one, reflecting that he had utterly undone many of the poor tenets, though he had at the same time greatly impoverished himself. Mrs. Slipslop, the waiting gentlewoman, being herself the daughter of a curate, preserved some respect for Adams. She professed great regard for his learning, and would frequently dispute with him on points of theology but always insisted on a deference to be paid to her understanding, as she had been frequently at London, and knew more of the world than a country parson could pretend to. She had, in these disputes, a particular advantage over Adams, for she was a mighty effector of hard words, which she used in such a manner that the parson, who durst not offend her by calling her words in question, was frequently at some loss to guess their meaning, and would have been much less puzzled by an Arabian manuscript. Adams therefore took an opportunity one day, after a pretty long discourse with her on the essence, or as she used to term it, the incense of matter, to mention the case of young Andrews, desiring her to recommend him to her lady AS A YOUTH VERY SUSCEPTIBLE OF LEARNING, AND ONE WHOSE INSTRUCTION IN LATIN HE WOULD HIMSELF UNDERTAKE, BY WHICH MEANS HE MIGHT BE QUALIFIED FOR A HIGHER STATION THAN THAT OF A FOOTMAN, AND ADDED THAT, SHE KNEW IT WAS IN HIS MASTER'S POWER EASILY TO PROVIDE FOR HIM IN A BETTER MANNER. HE THEREFORE DESIRED THAT THE BOY MIGHT BE LEFT BEHIND UNDER HIS CARE la mr adams said mrs slipslop do you think my lady will suffer any preambles about any such matter she is going to london very concisely and i am confident would not leave joey behind her on any account for he is one of the genteelest young fellows you may see in a summer's day and i am confident she would as soon think of parting with a pair of her grey mares, for she values herself as much on one as the other. Adams would have interrupted, but she proceeded. And why is Latin more necessitous for a footman than a gentleman? It is very proper that you clergymen must learn it, because you can't preach without it but i have heard gentlemen say in london that it is fit for nobody else i am confident my lady would be angry with me for mentioning it and i shall draw myself into no such dilemma at which words her lady's bell rung and mr adams was forced to retire nor could he gain a second opportunity with her before their london journey which happened a few days afterwards. However, Andrews behaved very thankfully and gratefully to him for his intended kindness, which he told him he never would forget, and at the same time received from the good man many admonitions concerning the regulation of his future conduct, and his perseverance in innocence and industry. Book One, Chapter Four what happened after their journey to london no sooner was young andrews arrived at london than he began to scrape an acquaintance with his party-coloured brethren who endeavoured to make him despise his former course of life his hair was cut after the newest fashion and became his chief care he went abroad with it all the mornings in papers and dressed it out in the afternoon. They could not, however, teach him to game, swear, drink, nor any other genteel vice the town abounded with. He applied most of his leisure hours to music, in which he greatly improved himself, and became so perfect a connoisseur in that art, that he led the opinion of all the other footmen at an opera, and— they never condemned or applauded a single song, contrary to his approbation or dislike. He was a little too forward in riots at the playhouses and assemblies, and when he attended his lady at church, which was but seldom, he behaved with less seeming devotion than formerly. However, if he was outwardly a pretty fellow, his morals remained entirely uncorrupted though he was at the same time smarter and genteeler than any of the beaux in town either in or out of livery his lady who had often said of him that joey was the handsomest and genteelest footman in the kingdom but that it was a pity he wanted spirit began now to find that fault no longer on the contrary she was frequently heard to cry out, Aye, there is some life in this fellow. She plainly saw the effects which the town air hath on the soberest constitutions. She would now walk out with him into Hyde Park in a morning, and, when tired, which happened almost every minute, would lean on his arm, and converse with him in great familiarity. WHENEVER SHE STEPPED OUT OF HER COACH, SHE WOULD TAKE HIM BY THE HAND, AND SOMETIMES, FOR FEAR OF STUMBLING, PRESS IT VERY HARD. SHE ADMITTED HIM TO DELIVER MESSAGES AT HER BEDSIDE IN A MORNING, leered AT HIM AT TABLE, AND INDULGED HIM IN ALL THOSE INNOCENT FREEDOMS WHICH WOMEN OF FIGURE MAY PERMIT WITHOUT THE LEAST SULLY OF THEIR VIRTUE but though their virtue remains unsullied, yet now and then some small arrows will glance on the shadow of it their reputation. And so it fell out to Lady Booby, who happened to be walking arm in arm with Joey one morning in Hyde Park, when Lady Tittle and Lady Tattle came accidentally by in their coach. "'Bless me,' says Lady Tittle, can i believe my eyes is that lady booby surely says tattle but what makes you surprised why is not that her footman replied tittle at which tattle laughed and cried (laughs) an old business i assure you is it possible you should not have heard it the whole town hath known it this half year (laughs) THE CONSEQUENCE OF THIS INTERVIEW WAS A WHISPER THROUGH A HUNDRED VISITS, WHICH WERE SEPARATELY PERFORMED BY THE TWO LADIES. FOOTNOTE. IT MAY SEEM AN ABSURDITY THAT TATTLE SHOULD VISIT, AS SHE ACTUALLY DID, TO SPREAD A KNOWN SCANDAL, BUT THE READER MAY RECONCILE THIS BY SUPPOSING, WITH ME, THAT notwithstanding WHAT SHE SAYS, THIS WAS HER FIRST ACQUAINTANCE WITH IT. a hundred visits which were separately performed by the two ladies the same afternoon and might have had a mischievous effect had it not been stopped by two fresh reputations which were published the day afterwards and engrossed the whole talk of the town but whatever opinion or suspicion the scandalous inclination of defamers might entertain of lady booby's innocent freedoms it is certain that they made no impression on young andrews who never offered to encroach beyond the liberties which his lady allowed him a behaviour which she imputed to the violent respect he preserved for her and which served only to heighten a something she began to conceive, and which the next chapter will open a little farther. End of Book One, Chapters Three and Four, read by Dennis Sayers in Modesto, California for LibriVox.